The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The big shakeup at Intel, the fallout for that company, its competitors, and of course, your money. We debate, we discuss it with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, Pete Nigerian, Surat Sethi, and Kerry Firestone, the CEO of RAS Asset Management. Let's go to the wall. Let's check the markets first and foremost. Dow's not doing all that much, down by more than four. NASDAQ, the big winner, good for one half of 1%. Intel having its best day in many months following news. Its CEO, Bob Swan, is leaving. You see stock, the stock there is up uh, by better than 7%. Pete Nigerian, I'm going to you because you're my guy on Intel. The market obviously likes this news. I'm somewhat surprised to hear in your notes today that you're considering trimming the stock, not buying it yeah. today. And I have. And I have, Scott. I trimmed some of the stock. Um, I also bought calls yesterday because we had some unusual option activity at the Market Rebellion site. And uh, those already reacted, and uh, obviously they would react. Stock was up about 10% or a little bit more earlier as it got up over 60. My, my hesitation right now, Scott, is this. How long will this take? What kind of a turnaround is this going to be? It's a new CEO. How fast can things really move? I, if, a great example would be to look over at what was going on with Wells Fargo and the replacement of the CEO. It takes a little bit of time to turn these big battleships around from what happened in previous uh, call it administration. So I think that the reality is right now that I think they did the right thing. I think Dan Loeb, certainly he says he didn't influence them on this decision. I think that he did. And I think that Intel made the right decision because there was too many missteps. And we talked about that. How many missteps can you have before you have to make some changes? And I think the changes that they have made, getting an old Intel employee back in the saddle, I think this is exactly the right direction to take. You've got a guy who's got the technology and engineering experience. It makes total sense. That's the area where, they, where I felt they should have gone on the previous hire back in January of 2019. They went a different route. But I think that they've now made the right decision for the future. It just might be a future that's a little further out than I want it to be. Pete, I remember the day on this program where we got the bombshell about Krasanich leaving and in, in discussions yeah. about who the next CEO should be, you certainly had your eye on some names. Bob Swan was not at the top of your list, not to disparage Mr. Swan in any way, shape or form, obviously. Right. But he wasn't the person you were looking for. You wanted somebody who was uh, maybe more technically driven. It's an engineering driven firm. Um, a lot of people, though, in these situations, Pete, sort of bet on the next mm -hmm. man or woman up. Right. We hear it all the time. Right. People were willing to buy General Electric. Why? Because of their, C their new CEO. People are willing to buy right. Wells Fargo out of favor. Why? Because of their new CEO. Now, this company's new CEO, the incoming one, uh, Gelsinger from VMware, is being praised. That's not enough? Yes. No, it is, Scott, but here's the problem. Take a look at exactly the examples you used right there and how long did it actually take. We watched Wells Fargo struggle as they had the right guy in position, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, it does take time. There's a lot of changes. GE's another great example. That stock did not recover the second that they hired the new CEO. As a matter of fact, all it did was go down, 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 down even further. So we've seen this stock actually do reasonably well of late. But let's, let's be honest. Take a look at both Wells Fargo and GE relative to just even a year or so ago or two years ago, and you can see what I'm talking about. I think it does take some time. I think that's exactly the issue that I have right now is they, they made the right decision, but what is the time frame? Is the time frame, do I want to sit and wait now for multiple years? Because I think that's what it might actually take. And in the meantime, they're going to lose market share to those competitors, to NVIDIA, to AMD. That, was, that competition did not just suddenly change. I think it, it, it will change, but it hasn't changed today, and it won't change in the next couple of months. You're not alone in your view. 
uh, certainly of that, Pete, the number one chip analyst on the street, Bernstein, Stacy Raskin, any, any changes he said, I'm quoting here, um, are not going to bear fruit for quite some time uh, and talking about the next three years, right? So I, I hear what you're saying. The, the other side of this, of course, is another member of our investment committee. That's Jenny Harrington. She joins us on the CNBC Newsline who defended uh, Intel over the past year, at least, as she continues to own the stock. So what do you make of the news today? What are you doing with your shares, Jenny? We're proudly holding them. And we think the market response is not because anyone believes that suddenly there are going to be huge improvements, but, they, but it's because two things. One, investors believe, as you guys have already discussed, that Intel deserves a tech person as a CEO. And Mr. Gelsinger has proven roots of being an excellent leader. So his return totally ruins the baloney claims that I've heard over the last year that there's been brain drain. And it reminds us there are, that there are brilliant minds at Intel and that want to continue to work at Intel and do already work there. But the most important, one of the most important things to say, too, is the second line of the press release. And the second line of the press release said that, that um, their numbers for this year are actually ahead of the guidance that they issued in October. And that guidance for four fifty five a share, which was already up over 2019. And that's where I think the argument... Um, comparing it to a Wells Fargo, for example, or a GE starts to fall apart because those are companies that were struggling much more with earnings than I think Intel is. This is a rosy future. The other thing that I think is tricky is when we look at Intel versus AMD or NVIDIA, the conversation always seems to be as if there's a winner-takes-all, and it's not winner-takes-all, right? I was at the Credit Suisse conference last month and saw all three of these companies present, and what slapped me in the face was that it's not a winner-takes-all, and there's going to be some market share shift, but the market and the technology infrastructure that we use today needs all of these players and all of what they manufacture. So then I take a step back from all of this and I look at it and I say, all right, Intel's trading at 11 times earnings versus AMD and NVIDIA at 50 times. And they've just told me that their earnings are ahead of schedule, ahead of their guidance. That sets me up for a really positive return in the future, and I'm okay if it takes some time. I don't need Mr. Gelsinger to, to make immediate changes. Right. It can take time. The, the, other, the other multiples you mentioned, though, are, are where they are for a reason, right? That, that's where the story has, has gone to. Uh, the puck went that way. And that's why those multiples um, are, are where they are, right? Mr. Gelsinger, I'm, I'm sure he brings a good brain and he brings a good knowledge of, of Intel back into the top job, but he doesn't bring with him lost market share, right? He doesn't you know bring what? with him some of the fundamental reasons why Intel has fallen behind AMD and Taiwan Semi and some of these other players in that space, does he? But it, if you're going to use where the puck went to, the puck went there, and where is it going from here? Is the puck going to Intel, sorry, is the puck going to AMD and NVIDIA going to 80 times earnings? Because that's what it would take for them to have a 50% bump. In, in share price return? Or is the puck going to Intel trading at 15 times earnings or 16 times? Because that's all it would take to get that to 50%. So I would say from this point in time, the puck is going in terms of capital appreciation of the share price. It's going in Intel's favor from here. Pete? How, we need to look forward from here. How do you rebut that, Pete? Well, I think that when you look at the reaction, Scott, just recently when, when it was announced that Loeb was positioning into the stock, look at the bump that the stock took from that. And now look at the bump mm -hmm. that it's getting today. So I think they've made up a lot of ground. Now, the reality is, uh, Jenny, I don't disagree with what she's talking about valuation. I think she's exactly right. But when you look at growth itself, even though they've had some record numbers, when you look at growth relative to their competitors right now, they are getting beat. And I think that's going to happen for at least multiple quarters. So it's a matter of, do I want to hold on to it any longer? I still have some of my stock position. I even have some of my, half of my option position on an Intel because of the fact that I still do love the company. I still agree with Jenny and just about every point that she has, except for the fact that I think that it will take time. And the time that I'm looking at right now is much more than just a quarter or two. I think it's years. And so because of that, that's why I've trimmed and why I might actually exit. Understood. Jenny, right. I appreciate it. Go, go ahead, make a quick last, in, in make, time frames. Make a quick he last point. He has a shorter time frame than I have. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, there, there's I, some people clearly doubt as to whether, um, even in a longer time frame, uh, whether Intel is going to be relevant again. And I mean, you know, people are placing their bets on both sides. Jenny, thank you. Appreciate it. We'll see you back on the desk. I know. Uh, I know soon. Joe, you own uh, Intel in your in your ETF. You think this is bad news for VM? 
I do. This, this is definitely bad news for a company that is trying to position itself as a cloud-first company, and you're bearing witness to that in the stock performance today. Obviously, um, Advanced Micro is down on this. I own that as well. I think that is a buying opportunity, clearly, and Xilinx is falling here as well. I think when you look at Intel, the first thing that they have to give consideration to, Scott, is how do they smooth out the significant volatility surrounding the re release of their earnings, both in October, both in July. You saw uh, precipitous declines for the company. And then let's remember, one year ago, you had a very strong rally where the stock actually appreciated up to $69. So they're going to have to figure that out. In addition, they need to be very firm on what they are going to do as it relates to outsourcing some of the chip production. They've hinted at it. But are they actually going to be utilizing Samsung and Taiwan Semi, uh, Semi moving forward? I think Taiwan Semi is also a stock of opportunity after they report earnings here. And the easier play on that is the SMH because Taiwan Semi is a significant holding there. Okay. So let me turn to, to Surat. I, I know you don't own Intel, but I want to expand the, the conversation for a moment for our viewers' sake. What's the best chip stock right now, Surat? that you would, you would say is a, is a good buy right today in the space? If you don't own it, um, what can you buy today in this space? So I like Qualcomm in this space. Uh, NVIDIA, a second to it. But Qualcomm, to me, has the balance sheet, the secular growth story with 5G ahead of it. And they've put behind them all the lawsuits that had come that was just a complete overhang, whether it was China, whether it was U.S. So for a secular growth story with a company that has pure IP and has margins and a strong growing dividend with a balance sheet, Qualcomm would be my choice. It is one of our top holdings. It has been for a while. And I think right now the bumps are behind it and the future looks a lot better. Okay, let's move to the other big story and frankly one that caught me by a little bit of a surprise today, too, as I pivot to you, Kerry, uh, and that is the fact that you are trimming Apple and you're trimming Apple again. Why? Mm -hmm. hmm. So the last time we trimmed Scott was on September 2nd, and that was it turned out to be a fortuitous time to cut the stock. There was the split and um, the stock kind of hit a peak, and we just decided that at 34 times earnings, having come from 15 times earnings in March at the low, uh, we had a great stock for the year, and we went from about equal weight, slightly underweight Apple, and you know, Apple is close to 7% of the S&P now, and so we cut it. So now the stock fell, and it hit a bottom of the end of October, so from the beginning of November until today, the stock is up 20%. It's selling at 31 times earnings. 32. Uh, we feel that 32, okay, thank <laughs> you, 32 times earnings. Almost 33. So, yeah, I mean, I mean seriously, it's, it's at a premium to the market. It's been a great stock. It's the largest name in the S&P. And honestly, we think that we can deploy some of that and reduce our weight. So we're still over 4% in the stock. Mm -hmm. But we, we think that there are other places to put the money. The service business, which should command a higher multiple, wasn't really priced in uh, in early 2020. And now we think that it, it is. And so taking some money off the table, it's a new year. Didn't have to pay tax on this stock, you know, last year for the taxable accounts. So we, we feel that it's an appropriate move. We're trimming. We're not selling out of it. But look, it's been a great stock, and it's had an enormous run just recently for a stock that size. I hear you. But we get into the sort of dangerous game, the, the Kramer games of, you know, don't trade Apple, own Apple. Um, so I'm sure he's, you know, going crazy it. in his chair. Uh, now, I know you own it. I know Jimmy, you own it. But try, try to, go, trying, go to trade around the position can, <laughs> trying to trade around the position um, can be tough. Uh, by the way, the price yeah, target today goes to 155 from 140, reiterated overweight at Wells Fargo. Um, it's the second highest target on the street. Just as Pete, you're buying more calls in Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Scott, I think that the reality is, as we all know with this company, we talk about the services. We don't talk nearly enough about the wearables and the businesses. Those two businesses are where you get margin, and that's a great thing for Apple right now. I think the other side of it is 
with this the latest greatest phone i think there could be some surprises in front of us and we'll we'll see obviously we've got earnings not too far away so that's that's something that i think is built is building in and i think this is a stock that because where it's trading i understand you guys are talking about the multiples that makes a lot of sense but they've never had this kind of growth and they haven't had an area for the improved margin anything close to what they've got now as that becomes a bigger and bigger portion of Apple in terms of their revenue and their earnings and so forth. So I think for those reasons, I still think there's a lot more room to the upside. I would agree with the analysts today with that 155. I, I wouldn't be surprised if in the not too distant future, we start to see more and more analysts start to raise those numbers up a little bit further even than that, because I think there's a lot more room to the upside, Scott, from here. Right, Surat, I mean, all FANG multiples have expanded. Right. I'm not, not justifying that, that. I'm not trying to make a statement that says, well, Apple's justified to be at 32, almost 33 times because the others are themselves. I'm just simply making the point that a lot of multiples in that space have expanded. You pull them all up. They're all, I think, over 30. Yep. And I don't put Amazon in that bucket because obviously it's much, much higher, three times or so, if not more yeah. than, than that. So w what about the idea? Uh, because I, we have both sides of the trade here someone's trimming, someone's mm -hmm. adding. What do you say? You own it. Right. So, so Scott, yeah, so you're absolutely right. So I look at the fangs, and I've talked about this before, as to what my exposure overall in my portfolio is. And I think Harry's point of its portfolio management, it's not about trading in and out. It's about what I want in the risk in the portfolio. And these companies have done very well in the stay-at-home economy. The earnings have grown, their PEs have expanded, and we're at that point where we've been for the last couple of months, where there are other opportunities out there that I think deserve to be looked at because these earnings have to catch up to these stocks. And I think with interest rates moving, and even though it went from 0.5 in March to 1.1% today, there are going to be other opportunities. And if you get any hiccup at interest rates, these are stocks that investors are going to take money out yeah, of directly. Looks up. So really it comes to portfolio prudence and, and diversification. Some of these multiples, Joe, have even come in. Uh, a little bit too. I mean, and that's another conversation to, to be had, and, and we've been trying to have it on this program as well, the compression of multiples at risk mm -hmm. if interest rates continue to go up. You're going you're gonna to have to have those sorts of conversations when you think about, Joe, the broader market and the response that it has to interest rates potentially, you know, going up a little faster than people expect. Yes, I would agree with that, and I think that's why a lot of the mega cap technology names have been pricing below their all-time highs that they achieved early in September. Uh, mm -hmm. Apple and Microsoft are the two names that I'm going to continue to hold on to. I think as it relates to Apple, the expectation for very strong revenue being derived from China in the coming quarter is something that investors should be looking towards. Clearly, there is an economic rebound that's happening there that clearly is not happening here. In addition to that, they just have the ability, Apple, to replicate products better than anyone else. They continue to introduce and improve upon what's already in existence. And I'm not sure who it was, and I apologize for that, Scott, but I heard someone on the show a while back say that Apple should go out and maybe buy Ford or GM. That's not out of the question. At some point, I truly believe Apple will be improving upon the electric vehicles that currently we have available I to us. I should also note as well, right, we just showed the 10-year. Remember yesterday, it hit the highest level since February, and that was touching 118. So it's, it's down 9 to 10 basis points in a day. So we're not talking about runaway rates, certainly not now. I'm, uh, I'm, no. I'm certainly cognizant of that point. Just simply want to point out this move lower in yields today is noteworthy as well. As Pete, that brings me back to you because of sort of this trifecta of interesting moves being made today by all of you. It's a note that you are, I think, more than thinking about trimming your equity positions at large. I think maybe you yeah. already have. I have on a few, Scott. And as a matter of fact, my goal over the next probably week or two weeks is to trim up a few more or, or release a few more of the stocks that I've owned for a period of time. Now, I'm going to hold on to my base positions, obviously Apple that I just got done talking about, but Pfizer and Merck and, and some of those kind of names. But there are some other names out there that I own stock, and I, and I feel like it's time to maybe take some of that off 
And if I want to stay there, I'm going to do something called a stock replacement where I'm going to still buy options in those stocks to be able to still, if, if there is more upside, I can ride it. But I do have a little bit, I, don't, I wouldn't call it nervousness, Scott, but I would say that like so many and like so many you've brought on the show, and I don't think that they're wrong, I think they're right, and this is why I'm doing it, they've come on and they've talked about, hey, look, at some point in time, we're going to see some sort of a fairly substantial pullback. Well, I don't necessarily disagree with that. We, none of us know the timing of that. But for me, I want to start paring back on some and actually eliminating some of the exposure that I've gotten, some of the equities. And I'm going to be able to have it on the option side. And then um, hopefully over time, we'll see how that plays out. But I'm okay to get rid of a few. There's, we always look at our portfolios. We always go through them every single week. I do it just like everybody else on the program right now. And I think that there are probably up to maybe as many as 10 that I'm going to eliminate from my positions like, that are sitting there right now. Like what? Give, give me an idea. Give our viewers an idea. Which, which well, ones? There, sure. Well, there are some names, Scott, that are, that are smaller names or they've just outperformed to the point where I just feel like at some point in time I'm, I just need to take them off. I mean, I look at the great run that I've had out of Medtronic. That's been a stock that's absolutely rocketed for me. I love the name. Has it gotten a little bit lofty? Maybe. And so maybe there's a better opportunity in the future. So that might be one of those names that I think I'd put on the list at least that I'm going to analyze a little bit longer to decide which names that I'm going to have on that list that absolutely are going to go. And it's not because of anything other than the fact that it has had a really nice run to the upside from where I actually got in. Any others, right? You said like 10. <laughs> Come on, Pete. Yeah, there's probably... <laughs> Were we the dentist? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Scott, I, I, I literally, I, if I would have made those decisions by now, I would have probably already eliminated them. Okay. I, I'm looking at names that I think are teetering right now, so I haven't made those decisions definitively yet, but I will, and I'll absolutely give you guys an update um, and, and the reasons why that some of those are gone. I'm just kidding with you. I don't want to mess up your positions, yeah. um, no, it's all good. obviously. It's all good. Uh, but... <laughs> But, Kerry, it does raise, you know, the, the bigger conversation about where we are in the, in the market and what may lie ahead. Mm -hmm. As, you know, the, the Carl Icons of the world tell me, you know, man, this is a wild market, and when it falls, it's going to fall hard. It's not different this time. To Jeffrey Gunlock saying, you know, we are record-breakingly high in terms of where valuations are. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a rollover quickly. The flip side of all that is the liquidity and the money that's in the system and the additional liquidity that could be added. You're talking about the possibility of big stimulus under a President Biden, um, infrastructure spending and things like that. You've got to play both sides of this in the way you game it out, Carrie, as we look at uh, a firm uh, begin trading now uh, with its first trade up 90 percent. We'll call it. We'll round up. Uh, just about that, certainly for that IPO wow. today listed over at the NASDAQ as we keep our eyes on all things uh, markets. So, Carrie, what do you think about it? So there's, there's obviously great demand for stocks. Uh, there's demand from individuals who have been sitting around for a year learning how to trade on a mobile app. And we've talked about that. I've written about that and the way so many stocks are selling for these incredible prices. But remember, when people get a little bored, they find something else to buy. So if you had owned Moderna, Zoom, CrowdStrike, Snowflake, uh, Trade Desk, there are many stocks that were vertical, and now they've come down and the money's gone into other names. So all of the solar names have had incredible runs, and Bitcoin, the big run. And if you bet in just one part of the market, that's a problem. Even if there's demand for equities, we really need, and this is part of our trade, part of why we sold some Apple, and why we sold parts of other names like Sherwin, such as PayPal, Zoetis, we sold out of Marsh Mac. And we have redeployed that into some of the stocks that did not have the same, same type of move in 2020. So we had a lot of growth stocks in 2020. We need to see what will happen with a, a broader market. The market is not now as narrow as it was. Very few stocks were outperforming the S&P for the first half of the year. The big large cap growth names were. And then from 
September on, we've broadened. So more than half of the names outperformed the S&P. And that's why we just bought some American Express. We bought some SL Green. That's the name Jenny owns. We have tried to broaden our portfolio to take advantage of the reopening trade, some of the cyclicals, some of the quote value stocks that have not run up too much. Okay. But betting one side or the other is, we think, a mistake, as you said. You, you've made me think about, you know, something else that we heard this week on this program. And, Sarat, I, I go to you for that. And, and that's a, a word that I've heard from so many of you and others in terms of market strategy, and that is this barbell approach, right? You got to oh, own right. some of this value. You got to own some of that growth, almost implying that it's equal so that the barbell isn't tilted. It's, right, we got a level barbell to, um, to deal with. However, it, Stephanie Link you know, suggested the other day that she's been selling some of those growth stocks and adding more to the more cyclical areas of the market. So it may not be the barbell that people have been recommending on this program for the last several months, if not years. Is it time, Surat? Because you have. You've been one of them. You've used that expression on this show. Yep. Is it time to sort of rethink I, I, that approach? I, I think, you know, going to a overweight on the cyclical value side is more prudent today than it was about six months ago. And, and if you look at kind of where we are with impending more stimulus, you're looking at, you know, the, the, the vaccines coming out, albeit slowly. There are opportunities. And again, to Carrie's point, that some of these stocks have not reflected any true earnings growth. And if you do get true earnings growth in the financials, in some of the industrials, in some of the cyclicals, and even in some of the energy stocks, capital will flow there just because the earnings growth there is going to be better, especially when you look at earnings revision, that that's going to happen. And I think that opportunity there is existing. You know, we're overweight financials. We've got 16% in there. Uh, we've got industrials. We've got, you know, a bunch in healthcare too that haven't really performed. So I, I don't see a problem there. And I think portfolio prudence on the growth side, they've just grown too fast too quickly. So I think there is an opportunity. You might be too early and we get fits and starts, but I think the next two to three years is going to be rewarding more of those companies that have not partaken in this growth um, you know, that we've seen over the last 18 months. All right, let's do this. Um, Joe, you have some really interesting moves, and I promise you uh, we're going to get to them, though. Uh, let me take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about it on the other side, along with the bullish calls today on Twitter, on General Motors, on Exxon, and more names maybe in your portfolios. We'll debate them when we come back in just two minutes. As I mentioned, Joe is making some interesting moves today. All right, Joe, uh, because these are stocks you've talked about uh, multiple times on this program. You sold Honeywell. Let's talk that first. Why? I did. Uh, Scott, I believe in having right now an equal weight strategy consistent with your conversation before we went to commercial break. So I just had too much industrial exposure. Honeywell has reached the target where I'm comfortable ringing the register on it and moving out of it. Joe, I'm going to interrupt uh, you. Forgive me. Uh, we're going to go to Washington, to the Capitol, where the speaker is officially opening the debate into the impeachment of the Madam president. Madam Speaker, and his annual address to our predecessors in Congress in 1862, President Abraham Lincoln spoke of the duty of the patriot in an hour of decisive crisis for the American people. Fellow citizens, he said, we cannot escape history. We will be remembered in spite of ourselves. No personal significance or insignificance can spare one or another of us. The fiery trial through which we pass will light us down in honor or dishonor to the latest generation. We, even we here, he said, hold the power and bear the responsibility. In the Bible, St. Paul wrote, think on these things. We must think on what Lincoln told us. We, even here, even us here, hold the power and bear the responsibility. We, you and I, hold and trust the power that derives most directly from the people of the United States. 
And we bear the responsibility to fill that oath that we all swear before God and before one another. The oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, so help us God. We know that we face enemies of the Constitution. We know we experience the insurrection that violated the sanctity of the people's capital and attempted to overturn the duly recorded will of the American people. And we know that the President of the United States incited this insurrection, this armed rebellion against our common country. He must go. He is a clear and present danger to the nation that we all love. Since the presidential election in November, an election the president lost, he has repeatedly held about the... Uh, Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. Died about the outcome, sowed self-serving doubt about democracy and unconstitutionally sought to influence state officials to repeal reality. And then came that day of fire we all experienced. The president must be impeached, and I believe the president must be convicted by the Senate, a constitutional remedy that will ensure that the republic will be safe from this man who was so resolutely determined to tear down the things that we hold dear and that hold us together. It gives me no pleasure to say this. It breaks my heart. It should break your heart should break all of our hearts, for your presence in this hallowed chamber is testament to your love for our country, for America, and to your faith in the work of our founders to create a more perfect union. Those insurrectionists were not patriots. They were not part of a political base to be catered to and managed. They were domestic terrorists and justice must prevail. But they did not appear out of a vacuum. They were sent here, sent here by the president with words such as a cry to fight like hell. Words matter. Truth matters. Accountability matters. In his public exhortations to him, the president saw the insurrectionists not as the face, the foes of freedom, as they are, but as the means to a terrible goal, the goal of his personally clinging to power, the goal of thwarting the will of the people, the goal of ending in a fiery and bloody clash nearly two and a half centuries of our democracy. This is not theoretical, and this is not motivated by partisanship. I stand before you today as an officer of the Constitution, a speaker of the House of Representatives. I stand before you as a wife, a mother, a grandmother, a daughter, a daughter whose father proudly served in this Congress, Thomas Del Sandro Jr. from Maryland, one of the first Italian-Americans to serve in the Congress. And I stand here before you today as the noblest of things, a citizen of the United States of America. With my voice and my vote, with a plea to all of you, Democrats and Republicans, I ask you to search your souls and answer these questions. Is the president's war on democracy in keeping with the Constitution? Were his words an insurrectionary mob a high crime and misdemeanor? Do we not have the duty to our oath to do all we constitutionally can to protect our nation and our democracy from the appetites and ambitions of a man who has self-evidently demonstrated that he is a vital threat to liberty, to self-government, and to the rule of law. Our country is divided. We all know that. There are lies abroad in the land spread by a desperate president who feels his power slipping away. We know that, too. But I know this as well, that we here in this House have a sacred obligation to stand for truth to stand up for the Constitution, to stand as guardians of the Republic. In a speech he was prepared to give in Dallas, 
On Friday, November 22nd, 1963, President John F. Kennedy was to say, we in this country, in this generation, are by destiny rather than choice, the watchmen on the walls of world freedom. We ask, therefore, that we may be worthy of our power and responsibility, that we may be worthy. President Kennedy was assassinated before he could deliver those words to the nation, but they resonate more even now in our time in this place. Let us be worthy of our power and responsibility that what Lincoln thought was the world's last best hope, the United States of America may long survive. My fellow members, my fellow Americans, we cannot escape history. Let us embrace our duty, fulfill our oath, and honor the trust of our nation. And we, we pray that God will continue to bless America. I thank you, Madam Speaker, and yield back. Gentleman from New York. Okay, that was the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, officially opening the debate into the impeachment of President Trump for the second time. A vote will then follow the Speaker of the House calling the president, quote, a clear and present danger to the nation we all love. Ilan Moy in Washington following this for us. Ilan, what's likely to play out from here? Well, Scott, I think that was a very raw and emotional speech from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi when she talked about the armed rebellion that violated the sanctity of the Capitol. And she referenced the day of fire that they all experienced. And that just underscores how raw this really is for so many members. Some of them talked this morning about taking this vote in the middle of a crime scene that the rioters had infiltrated just one week ago. And that is going to change the political calculations around this. The question during the last impeachment was whether or not Democrats could remain unified in impeaching the president. This time around, the question really is how many Republicans are going to break ranks and join with Democrats. Now, there are some Republicans who are upset about this process and saying that it has been rushed and that the president has not gotten uh, a full chance to defend himself. But in this speech, Pelosi was signaling that lawmakers have lived through this and now they are ready to vote to impeach President Trump for the second time. All right, Elon. Thank you. Elon Moy down in Washington covering this story uh, for us. We'll attempt to get back to our, our business as usual. That is, of course, covering the market. Dow right now is good for 16 points, an otherwise somewhat muted day, though the Nasdaq, as you see on your screen now, is the outperformer of the day. It is good for about 47 points. That's one third of one percent. We left our conversation off with Joe Terranova, who was explaining why he sold out of shares of Honeywell. Uh, Joe, if you could just finish those thoughts and then we'll move on. Sure. So there's three themes that I'm introducing in 2021 that I want more exposure to. I want more exposure to agriculture because of what we're witnessing as it relates to perceived inflation. I want more exposure to the emerging markets and I want more exposure to natural gas. So I had to sell some of my equity holdings. Industrials is where I have been. I already explained I sold Honeywell. I sold Cintas. That was not a good trade for me. That did not work out well at all. In addition, I rang the register on Best Buy. I'm going to give an assist here to Pete Nigerian because when I mentioned that I had bought it, I think Pete had some calls there as well at around $100. Rang the register there. New positions for me. Archer Daniels Midland. This is a play on agriculture. I already have Bungie, which is ticker symbol BG. I purchased more of that. I already have emerging market debt. I want more exposure. I purchased the IEMG. That's the emerging market equity ETF. And then lastly, we're all talking about oil. Well, natural gas early in 2021, I believe, is the story. I own CNX. I own EQT, which I have added to, and now I have taken a new position in RRC. That completes positioning in the three themes that I mentioned, agriculture, natural gas, emerging markets. Range resources, that, that last one. Just quickly, um, why the IEMG for, our, uh, for exposure to emerging markets rather than the EEM, which our viewers, uh, you know, I think is sort of more commonplace, if you will, if you're looking at that area of the world to invest in? I think you know the answer. I give a tip of the hat to my 516 brother, the reform broker. He pointed out to me that IEMG is more cost efficient 
there is a lower expense ratio for it, and that's why I chose that one. You giving him props for the Uber buy as well? <laughs> so I also, and it's great because I, I left that one out. Uh, I'll, I'll give him props on Uber, but I'll tell you, Scott, Uber is all about mobility. You know, everyone keeps talking about oil, and I think Pete's in the right place for ExxonMobil and Chevron. But real mobility comes in the form of Uber, and you know I'm not afraid to buy it here near its uh, highs. I think it continues to press higher, and this is a company, as we go back to normal, that really is going to see significant tailwinds. Okay, we've got more stock picks ahead because we're visited by the longtime value investor Bill Nigren of Oakmark. He's next with his new buys and more. We'll do that in two minutes. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. Our next guest, one of Morningstar's ultimate stock pickers, has two new ideas for us today. Let's bring in Bill Nigren. He manages the Oakmark Fund. He joins us, as he always does, from Chicago. Nice to see you. Happy New Year. Welcome back. Thank you. Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right, let's talk. Let's go for some uh, these new buys. I want to get right into it. KKR, number one. Tell me why. Sure. Uh if you just look at the surface multiple on KKR, it looks like it's selling at roughly a market multiple, which is a little premium to the other asset managers. And you'd probably say that looks appropriate because KKR has been getting such good inflows compared to traditional managers, which are generally suffering outflows. The thing that misses is there's about $16 per share, and KKR sells at about $40 a share. So $16 a share of value in assets that are invested in KKR's own products. So we look at that and say we're only paying $24 for the business that's earning about $2. So that drops the multiple to about 12 times earnings for a premier asset manager that's got better than industry growth. We think that's pretty attractive. So apparently does the street. The stock is getting a move on that up 2%. All right, Fiserv, why this one? Sure. Fiserv, again, the story is the headline multiple looks about like a market multiple, somewhere around 20 times earnings. But if you look out just a couple of years and give them full credit for the synergies that they expect and expense savings that they'll record from the first data acquisition, that multiple falls from about 20 times down to 16. And then further, there's a business inside of Fiserv that accounts for less than 5% of its revenues, Clover, that has a lot of similarities to the business Square, and Square trades in the public markets for more than all of Fiserv's market cap. And Clover actually processes more volume than Square does. So we think there's an important hidden asset in there in addition to a company that is cheap if you account for the cost savings that they're likely to record in just the next couple of years. Don't get too many people coming on here, uh, Bill, who suggest I'm looking at MasterCard right now. That, that's why I'm looking away. Who suggests that you should sell MasterCard. Uh, but you did, or at least took some profits. Why? Well, that's what we do in Oakmark. Everything we're selling is an unpopular sale because it, unless it's a mistake that we've made, we're selling after a stock is appreciated significantly. Uh, we bought MasterCard way back when the Durban bill uh, was going to hurt the earnings of debit cards. And we barely paid a premium to the market to purchase it. And that's probably more than a decade ago now. The stock has done incredibly well. And though we didn't sell out our entire position, uh, it's getting hard to justify the price that MasterCard and Visa are trading at when you have other opportunities that are as attractive as something like Fiserv. And unfortunately, 
even though we think the value opportunity is there, investors aren't knocking our doors down, giving us tons of new capital to invest. So to find money to invest in the opportunities like KKR and Fiserv, you need to trim or eliminate other positions that are in the portfolio. Yeah, I'm looking at a lot of the holdings in the various funds. You don't have very much exposure at all to energy, do you? And I'm wondering what that says now about your belief of where that space might be going. Well, we've, we've actually got a decent amount of energy exposure. In the Oakmark Fund, we own EOG, Apache, Diamondback, Concho. It totals somewhere between 5 and 6% of the portfolio. That's not a huge weighting relative to the S&P 500, but it's much more levered on where energy prices are headed because uh, the S&P 500 is dominated by names like Exxon and Chevron. We look at the energy space and say the last time oil was priced in the low to mid 50s back in February before COVID hit, most of these stocks were 40 to 50 percent higher, and we thought they looked cheap then. So uh, we think that area is pretty attractive. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I ask you because I noticed your, your percentage or your weighting was, was rather low, relatively speaking, to some other areas of the market. In which, and your financials you really like, right? Well, we, we do. And uh, you, do, you don't need any creative math to make the financials look cheap. Most of them are selling somewhere around book value and at single-digit PEs on future earnings. Uh, a good example is Ally Financial. Uh, it feels like I talk about that every time I'm on here. Uh, it's our largest holding now in the Oakmark Fund. Uh, the stock tr today traded up to 40, which is about its tangible book value. They announced last night that they're resuming share repurchase and the amount they, uh, they said they'd be buying back in 2021 equates to 11% of their existing outstanding. The company has said that they expect within two to three years to be earning something like a 15% return on equity. That's about a $6 earnings number. The stock today at 40 uh, is selling at only six and a half times that. So uh, we think that's really cheap. And Ally is really the first time the investment community has seen a leading auto industry lender be combined with a leading online bank. So they have the advantage of cheap deposit funding combined with the high spreads that they're able to earn uh, lending on uh, autos, both new and used, as most of the large banks have moved to just prime customers. So Ally's earning a good amount of money today, and they don't need interest rates to go up to uh, earn something in the uh, 5 to $6 a share area. Everybody likes to talk about their winners. You're no different. That stock hit a new 52-week high today, by the way, of 41.99, and it is up nearly 50% in just three months. Bill Nygren, we'll talk to you again soon. You be well. Thanks. You too. All right, thanks. We'll take a quick break. Come back. Unusual Activity with Pete is next. Let's do the futures outlook. They're the markets first and foremost. Highs of the day for the Dow, S&P, NASDAQ having a good day as well, up one half of 1%. Crude, though, is taking a turn after hitting its highest level in 11 months earlier. Let's bring in Jeff Kilberg of KKM Financial for the trade there. Okay, what is it? Nearly kiss $54. It shook out a lot of shorts. And here we are in a new range. Volatility certainly increased on a high-volume day. I want to be a seller here. Look at the U.S. dollar index. The U.S. dollar index is back above 90. It's going to weigh upon commodity. And now that those shorts have been flushed out, you'll see it go back down to 50. So I want to be a seller at 53.50, Judge. These futures contracts, is the March futures, excuse me, the February futures contracts, I want to be a seller at 53.50. Looking for a target down to 52. But I'm going to have a stop just in case we have a new 11-month high and be stopped out at 54.50. I'm risking $1,000 to make 1500 Judge. All right. We'll see what happens. Thank you, Jeff Kilberg. We'll take a quick break. And we will do unusual activity next. All right, Pete, let's do it. What do you got? Well, I'm going to start with fuel cell, Scott. Now, in the last couple of weeks, back in December, as a matter of fact, the 23rd, they were buying fuel cell calls. Stock was trading right around $12. Well, today, stock a little above 19 when this occurred. They bought 10,000 of the January 19 calls for about a dollar, Scott. So they're just positioning for something very, very short term and expecting a little bit of a lift uh, rapidly over the next couple of days. And it's only 
a couple of days. Next, I got Freeport McMoran for you. Now, this is a name that has hit countless times. As a matter of fact, seven times already bullish paper just since the start of the year. And today, they're getting very aggressive once again. They're rolling, and that's what we love to see. They're getting out of March 30 calls, sold 10,000 of those, buying the March 35 calls, 10,000 of those, and they're going for about $1.50. So stock was trading right around 31 at the time. I like these trades. As you know, Freeport's one of those names that I put in there for my stocks for the year. So I think this thing continues to go to the upside. All right, good stuff. Give me a final trade if you could, Pete. Sure. I'm going to give you GM, and I, we, we continue to see option paper here as well. And this is a stock that just continues to move to the upside. A lot of EV conversation going on there. I think this is a name that moves to the upside still, even though it's made a substantial move. But I'd rather be in calls because of the fact that it's made such a quick move to the upside from 40 up towards 50. I'd rather be in the calls than the stock. Yeah, you're, you're not the only one optimistic about it. Uh, it gets upgraded today at Nomura Instanet to a buy. Uh, maybe a little late on the on the call, but the price target goes to 60. So you got some more upside there. That's from 27 too. So you can see what I'm talking about in terms of the miss of the of the rise. Surat, you own GM as well. It's one of your largest positions. I do, and I've, I've owned it for the last few years, and it's been you know a ride to nowhere basically. But I think the management team is now <laughs> executing. They've shown what they've done through COVID, and now you have the option value of electrical vehicles. So I, I do like that call. Okay, what's your final trade, Surat? Uh, Qualcomm, stick with it. And if you don't own it, like we talked about, buy it. I think this is a good one to own for the next few years. Okay. Uh, Kerry, before your final trade, quickly, Home Depot upgraded today to a buy. I've got some people who've been trimming or selling out of that lately, like Stephanie Link. You holding on to it? Yeah, we are. We think it both has the reopening trade because there's a housing cycle that's in full steam ahead. And even though it's been a good stock outperform, we think it has more to go. Quickly, what's your final trade for me today? Yeah, Netflix. Been in a basing pattern. We think it can start to accelerate going forward. All right, Joe, you got less than 10 seconds. I'll reiterate on Uber. Okay, Uber. Thanks, guys. Good seeing everybody. Take another quick check Thanks. of the markets. We are pretty much highs of the day for the majors. That does it for us, the exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.